0: Welcome to the Precision Medicine Podcast, sponsored by Trapello. This is the podcast where experts come to discuss the problems oncologists, reference labs, and payers face as precision medicine grows and consider solutions for advancing the quality of patient-centered cancer care. Be sure to subscribe at precisionmedicinepodcast.com to get the latest episodes delivered straight to your inbox. Thanks for tuning in to Part 2 with Dr. Jack West from City of Hope. We continue our conversation with him, discussing how to bridge the gap between academic and community oncology settings for better precision medicine outcomes. Enjoy.
1: You have quite a few followers on social media and also through Medscape and JAMA Oncology, who, quite frankly, Dr. West, I mean, they depend on you for this type of information. You mentioned, like RET, which is, you know, 2% of... You know The population has a red mutation, MET14 is about 3%. You and some of your colleagues did an excellent video editorial on Medscape, and you were discussing um, the divide between academic and community physicians and their level of understanding. With all the research and development going on in oncology, do you see a divide in the knowledge level of academic physicians versus community physicians? And 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 how can we bridge that gap in order to maintain or improve the quality of care as precision medicine grows?
2: I I think this is really an extremely relevant bottleneck that we need to pay far more attention to, and it it really shouldn't be painted as us or them. Uh, you know, I've worked in a large community-based center and don't think that community oncologist should be a pejorative term. Uh, And I I think it's incredibly challenging to see and treat patients with 12 or 15 kinds of cancer over the course of a day and still uh, keep up with any semblance of what's going on in so many fields uh, versus being in a more academic setting and focusing on one or a couple of kinds of cancer, the fact is these uh, these fields are just exploding with new information, new biomarkers, new targets, and tons of trials. And that's a great thing for patients. It's a great thing for oncology. But only to the extent that we can actually translate these developments into uh, better Practice, and so I do think that uh, for all of the all of the uh, inexorable pressure to find the next great thing and do repeat biopsies and and uh, novel therapies at uh, at some of these largest centers of excellence, we really need to focus on getting the messages out, the key messages, and making sure that it is. In a uh, an accessible and digestible form, so it's not unfathomably complex, but rather, here are the basics that uh, that you need to know in community oncology. Now, I, I think part of that could come from just having great resources, um, uh, having th- information available when people are. You know, in podcasts going to uh, to and from work and, and you know on a plane. I think uh, part of it could be just knowing where to find it online, whether it's uh, medscape or up to date or or various other tools. Uh, but I also think we need to try to work on having uh, new ways of delivering care that uh, have subspecialists working, uh, potentially in concert with with local oncologists further away from those centers, so that there's just a subspecialist on demand, and that could be with uh, various uh, various consult services for you know molecular oncology results interpretation. Uh, there are. Uh, various academic centers that are offering kind of molecular tumor boards and uh, commercial enterprises, including Trapello, that are uh, working on uh, ways to help uh, everybody interpret the clinical significance of molecular oncology results. And then the kind of things that that I'm uh, building at uh, City of Hope in this program that is doing remote consult services as an employer uh, benefit and and uh, trying to make it more widely available so that people can get their care close to home, working with their community oncologist and uh, still avail themselves of a subspecialist who is reviewing the situation and is really just part of the team, but uh, without any uh, I hope tension between the specialist and the local doc that we're we're all doing the same thing and and the the subspecialist can just be there to ensure that the right tests are being uh, uh, done and that uh, great uh, targeted therapies aren't being missed as opportunities. Uh, but then people can still get their their treatments a couple of miles from home and and I think we need to work more on ways to, partner with the uh, local oncologists who are seeing and treating many different kinds of cancer, not expecting them to know the nuances of every development in every cancer, uh, but having them be kind of the effector arm, um, but working in concert with uh, services and and specialists elsewhere. So I, I do think that we need to focus far more on getting these new advances out and practiced consistently uh, in the broader community.
1: Yeah, I think that was one of the main takeaways, at least mine, coming out of this past ASCO is the need for being more interconnected. And I think that's what ultimately you and your peers on your, your Medscape video commentary spoke to. But kind of going back to that Flatiron Foundation Medicine report, um, it was 85% of those patients were treated in the community cancer centers who ultimately didn't get. But then uh, there was another abstract that was done by the Georgetown Lombardi Cancer Center as an abstract at ASCO that showed the gap in knowledge base on how to apply these results. What is your advice for physicians who encounter patients who are coming in with genetic test results that they've gotten or information from you know, Dr. Google, <laughs> and, and, and who demand for those tests to be run if they're not a specialist like yourself in a, in a particular cancer type?
2: Well, I, I think ideally, if the oncologist knows enough about that to corroborate or refute what the patient is asking about, uh, that is helpful. I think that. If they don't have that, then they should try to encourage a second opinion, whether that is in the same area and just driving across town or some remote consult service. But uh, uh, ideally, having that outside independent view uh, corroborate the uh, the uh, local oncologist that we, we shouldn't act on something. I think I would have to say that one of the potential challenges of uh, precision medicine, molecular oncology that hasn't really been addressed properly or even assessed well is uh, the rate at which uh, targeted therapies are pursued that are inappropriate. It's not just missing the effective ones, though that is a big, important issue, but also how often is everolimus recommended based on a dubious uh, suggestion that's based on preclinical data, but included in a 90-page NGS report. And there's just pressure to, you know, increasingly we see that a lot of these uh, molecular diagnostics labs are bragging about how often they come up with uh, some actionable mutation or how many they have. This is not a situation where more is necessarily better. I would say that uh, you're looking for uh, a diamond. And so just giving people a big dumpster of garbage in which they might find a diamond <laughs> is not the goal. You know, right. a, a bigger dumpster full of more and more garbage is just more to go through to get what you're looking for. And so I, I think reporting... Uh, questionable or, frankly, uh, irrelevant uh, findings, and then having patients and doctors uh, think that every patient has a great treatment if you just focus hard enough. If you just squint at that panel of uh, abnormalities long enough, you're going to find something. I think that it's important to note that a lot and even right now the majority of patients still don't have a driver mutation for which we have an effective treatment and so i think that's going to come from education and and frankly having third parties just you know recordings like this and and various things online that say this so that the oncologist in the community can themselves know and highlight to the patient that look it's not just me saying this here's this third party Telling you the same thing I'm telling you, and they don't have skin in the game here. They're just saying that if it is not a listed marker, this is a uh, rabbit hole that you're going down. You don't want to, not only is it wasteful of uh, money and causing potential toxicity to use a likely ineffective treatment, but you don't want to bypass a well-established standard treatment to pursue Everolimus based on preclinical evidence. And uh, we see this too often. And it may be some combination of, uh, of misplaced over-enthusiasm by uh, the patient and or the docs that, uh, that there's got to be some targeted therapy for every tumor.
1: Before we let you go... It- Make sure that those of our listeners, uh, can you tell them your, your Twitter, your social media platforms where they can connect with you?
2: Sure. Uh, well, I'm on Twitter at JackWestMD, and I love to connect with people there. Please follow. I, I put out everything, and there's lots of opportunity for vibrant discussion. And uh, my content is largely put out at uh, Beacon Medical Interchange, and that is at uh, Med. I see one word, dot uh, com. And so that's where my podcast materials are, uh, both video and audio. And, uh, and I'm also, uh, findable through the website, jackwestmd.com. So thanks very much for having me. It's been great.
1: Absolutely. Now I don't want to step on the fact that your podcaster, it's, it's very much an honor. In addition to you being an academic oncologist, researcher and a, and a media contributor, you're also a podcaster. <laughs>
2: that's right. Yeah, so I didn't even, I forgot to mention, though it is available at beaconmedic.com, the, the audio podcast, which is uh, a big focus of what I'm doing now is uh, Westwind, or The Westwind. Um, and uh, that's just because I think it's a, a novel, interesting way to reach people and I like the format of uh, back-and-forth discussion, just as we've had. I, I've been uh, enjoying connecting with people I, I don't get to necessarily speak with routinely. And in and, and the setting of Westwind, uh, often have a more personal discussion of their background, what led them into the field, and uh, as well talking about more uh, you know substantive policy issues or the latest data so thank you for bringing it up it's enjoyable and i think that having such a range of podcasts out there just lifts all boats it's just uh, creates an ecosystem where you can increasingly think about spending your time uh, commuting or other things that you do uh, listening to a podcast and having it be interesting and learn something
1: yeah, it is excellent. I've, I've listened. I, I say you were doing podcasts before medical podcasts were cool. <laughs> so, yeah, thanks. Yeah. So again, once again, thank you, Dr. Jack West, for being a guest on the Precision Medicine Podcast.
2: No, it's
0: my pleasure. Take care. You've been listening to the Precision Medicine Podcast, sponsored by Trapello. Trapello is the first clinical decision support tool to align the interests of oncologists, labs, and payers to give patients the best chance at beating cancer. To learn more, visit gettrapello.com. To subscribe to the podcast or download transcripts of any episode, visit precisionmedicinepodcast.com. We invite you to join the conversation on social media. You can find us on Twitter at PMP by Trepello or on LinkedIn at the Intervention Insights Company page. If you know someone who would enjoy the Precision Medicine Podcast, please share it. They'll thank you and so will we. We hope you'll tune in for the next episode.